welcome to Musitations, Sound Healing and Sound Wisdom for a World in Need. On Musitations, we explore all things musical, meditative, and creative for healing, transformation, and awakening the relationship between nature, culture, and the soul. I'm Michael Branty Maria, and I'm your host and guide on this journey on the edge of a new millennium. I bring my 30 plus years of experience as an integrative wellness guide best-selling author, meditation, yoga, mindfulness teacher, and a four-time Grammy-nominated musician. Join me now on this adventure of awakening the soul. Welcome to another episode of Musitations. It's great to have you here. And I've been looking forward to this podcast for quite some time. And we have a very special guest today, a dear friend, a colleague, mentor, um, and to many does not need an introduction if you're familiar with his work at all. Uh, we have, uh, but I'm going to read a little bio just for those who may not be as aware of Mark. So Mark Nepo has been called one of the finest spiritual guides of our time, a consummate storyteller, an eloquent spiritual teacher, a best-selling author, He's published 23 books and recorded 16 audio projects. His books have been translated into more than 20 languages. Recent works include Surviving Storms Through St. Martin's Essentials and Drinking from the River of Light, a Nautilus Award winner through Sounds True. You can find out more about Mark at marknepo.com and live.marknepo.com. Mark, it's just such an honor, a pleasure, and joy having you here today with oh, us. Oh, thank you. It's a joy to be with you, too. I've been looking forward to this as well. Thank you so much. Uh, well, for those who don't know, basically, this podcast, you had actually sent a beautiful message to me about music and the importance and power of music and in many ways that we are made of music. And one of the themes I talk about on this podcast a lot is we are music at some level, you know, not these nouns, but the shifting, changing, flowing chords or melodies, and hopefully we can find some harmony with each other. And so when you sent that to me, I was like, you know, this is Mark writes about this so often and, and sent, boy, you know, I'd love to have you on Musitations. And you'd mentioned about, you know, your book, Surviving Storms. I, I was still simmering the last one, Drinking from the River of Light, which is a personal favorite of mine. But I said, you know, oh, I would love to be able to have that uh, opportunity to talk about surviving storms. And particularly, I mentioned to you just before we got on, there's a storm <laughs> raging outside right now in the uh -huh. window. Um, and this house that actually has survived four or five hurricanes um, and it was Hurricane Ivan that led me to focus on my music um, because we were displaced from our home for two years. And, and so I thought, wow, this would be wonderful. And as I've dove into the book and really just swam around in it, uh, it's just been so meaningful to me on so many levels. And I, there's so many different places we could start. But I have to say, I think that what's most present for me is I loved your discussion of Leonard Cohen 
And I had recently watched the documentary that came out this year mm -hmm. on the story of Hallelujah and the backstory. And the, the for those who don't know, what I, I love about your writing, Mark, is it's it's very unique. There's almost these, there is this overarching umbrella of a theme, but almost as music, there are these vignettes and movements, almost each, I almost think of your chapters as songs. You know, because and 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 I for those who you know may not be familiar, the beautiful thing about Mark's work is you can almost pick it up anywhere, and and find a thread there to follow. So you know, and this is one of those threads that you usually either begin or end one of your songs in your vignettes of your book, um, and it's it's the it's the chapter on Leonard Cohen. We must learn the basic chords under everything. This is the call of every life awakened between its pain and its song. I mean, and it just really touched me. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for all that. And, and um, yeah, I mean, I and how I started that, as you know, from the chapter is that I've always known and loved Leonard Cohen and his work and his poems. But but like so many things, like during the pandemic, my wife Susan and I, I started to really say like, what, I, I really don't know him that well. And I started to dive in and, and the whole metaphor and the deep, profound teaching under, for me, under his song, Hallelujah, is that he is praising, this isn't a reframing, you know, so many, it's a song that's been played so often, so long. And there are honestly many different congregations of very different faiths who kind of sanitize the song. Praise God, let's go, but good luck out there. You know? And uh, that's not what I don't, I don't think that's what he was saying. What he was saying was, you know, life is real, it's difficult, it's wonderful. And even when it's difficult and we're being broken, we still have to praise mm. the mysterious forces that carry us and lift us and crash mm. us. And... And that's the broken hallelujah that mm. we are born in this. We are born in this corridor of aliveness between the song of life and the pain of life. Mm. And it's up to us. What music will we sing? Not rationalizing, not skipping over the pain and not staying <clears throat> ground down in the pain and ignoring the song. We're asked to let both guide us mm. and teach us. And so, you know, the image, one image that comes to me is, is, you know, if you're in a raft out at sea and a gigantic wave that comes over you and, you know, smashes your raft, well, that is very difficult for you or me. And, and that's true. There's no reframing that. And it doesn't diminish the majesty of the sea. Both are true. Hmm. And I think, you know, for me in my journey, you know, I'm, I'm 71 now. And, you know, that when I met someone my age when I was younger, I thought that was ancient. It doesn't seem so old now. And, but in my 30s, as you know, I almost died from a rare form of lymphoma. And there was a profound moment of this before I had language like the broken hallelujah. Um, I had a moment when after I had a rib removed in my back, and I had begun a very aggressive chemo treatment. And the first treatment, which was administered at Columbia Presbyterian Hospital in New York City, 
was botched. And so I found myself in a Holiday Inn somewhere in Queens with my former wife and a dear, dear old friend. And I started getting sick every 20 minutes and I had no medicine for it. And this is at just weeks after a rib was removed. So it was, was, didn't, it, it didn't feel good at all. Not knowing what was going to happen next, terrified, exhausted. And finally, you know, thinking it would stop, it had to stop and it didn't, I did have to go to the emergency room. But before that, as I was on the floor of that room with my elbows on my knees and my head in my hands and the sun started to come up, not through any wisdom on my part, but through sheer being exhausted open. It occurred to me that this is all very real for me. I don't know what's happening next. And somewhere nearby a baby's being born. Mm. And somewhere nearby a couple's making love for the first time. And somewhere uh, a parent is reconciling with an adult child over coffee in some kitchen. And that was the broken hallelujah. And I realized in that moment that to be broken is no reason to see all things as broken. And and these are very dramatic examples, and but they magnify what are everyday examples for all of us. You know, I um, I'm on a walk, you know, a hike up a mountain because you told me it's a magnificent view. And just before I get to the top, I stub my toe on a boulder. I mean, like where I think I broke my toe. Well, the day is beautiful. The sun is there. The view is waiting. And in that moment, existence is only the pain in my entire body from that toe. And then after a while, it throbs and, and I'm limping. And there we are. There we are. After the wave has crashed on the raft and we're still lucky to be alive. And the view is still waiting and the miracle is still around us. And now, hallelujah. Mm. We limp to the top to take in the view. Mm. And so this is the challenge. You know, we can get uh, stuck in in those moments of ultimate pain and and uh, whether, you know, to and fear to be a victim and say, oh, my God, this is unfair. This is terrible. Um, and we can try to bypass it and leap into our minds and transcend and it's always both. Mm. It's always both. No, it's beautiful. I, I even, uh, and I, I don't know if it was exactly that time, but I, I, I seem to remember there was a moment, and it's one of it stays with me. I, I hear this phrase in, in my mind when it, it was one of those things I've read of yours that was one of these I call them burning embers or arrows into the heart. And because I've had these moments um, where your former wife you said, where is God? And you said, right here. Yeah. And, you know, this sense of, um, and, and something I, I had not known from this book was that you were born premature. <laughs> and so, so reading that was really moving. I, I was not born premature, but I had this, uh, a number of surgeries as a child. I actually had a botched circumcision or re tried to repair mm. it three. And then at seven, I had a double hernia right above it. Oh, geez. And I, 
I had a near-death experience at seven that that I had this experience of kind of being between the worlds. Mm. And when you talked about that experience of somehow you have been in this place or one of your the places you inhabit is 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 honoring this place of the unseen in the scene. And, uh, and so, it, so that, yeah. Yeah, that, that's that section that, that that is, and you know, I realized this, of course, as I've as I've lived my life. But you know, I was born a month premature, and so back then, um, <clears throat> which was 1951, I was put in an incubator for three weeks, and my parents weren't allowed to take me home, which I'm sure was difficult for them. And um, as you know from my other writing, that the story of my life with my parents was a dysfunctional, difficult journey, um, but. I've come to see that those three weeks, of course, some ner anonymous nurse was kind to me, probably held me, took me out of the incubator, put me back in. I don't know who to thank for that. But for those three weeks, I was in, <clears throat> in a liminal space, no longer in the unconscious world of the womb and the pre-conscious life. And I was no longer, and I was not yet fully in the world. And those three weeks, I have seen, you know, unable to be with my mother and father, actually saved me because mm. that to be a very difficult journey. And so my first home, I had time to imprint to the mysteries. Mm. I had time in that incubator that that extended womb life, but not yet into the world life. I was able, my first home, my first sense of comfort and safety and intimacy was being at, at one with life, even before language, even before opening my eyes. And so while, of course, I had a home and like everyone else, but I had a deeper home to return to, even as a child. Though it took years, of course, before I could even speak about it or understand it or name it. And so I think that's also why I mean, I think that's one of the things, as you know, and you're wonderfully in on, on a journey with me and in, in, in circle with a group of, of wonderful souls. But as I travel with folks in these circles, you know, I think one of my jobs is to be a guide to that initial home. Mm. And, and this ties to the chords under everything. And, and so let's go back for a second to, to Leonard Cohen. And Leonard Cohen tells this amazing story of before he even learned guitar and how he was in Montreal staying in his mother's apartment and in the park was this masterful street musician playing flamenco guitar. And he was mesmerized and would stand there a few times, days. And then he finally had the courage. He said, would you teach me? And so this man who was probably, I mean, I think Leonard Cohen was 19, something like that. Or, and uh, this guy was probably, who knows, in his 30s or something. But he came back to Leonard's apartment and, and he tried to teach. And he told him there were six chords that are at the under every flamenco song. All flamenco music goes back to six chords. And he tried to teach Leonard those chords. And Leonard couldn't even form his fingers you know, on, on the guitar. So he tells the story of how this this young master went behind him and put his fingers over Leonard's fingers, placed them on the guitar, 
you know, was teaching us. So they had two or three lessons and then he was supposed to show up and the, the, he didn't show up. And Leonard went looking for him and discovered shockingly that he had taken his life. And, you know, in a deep way, for whatever reason, he, that flamenco, amazing flamenco player had lost his connection to the chords under everything, yes. which ties to yes. that, that primal home in life. And so often, as you know, uh, I like to explore and talk about where is that home for each of us? What is your relation, those who are listening, what is your relationship to the chords under everything? Can you name one reliable truth you return to that's between you and your experience of life below all your relationships, the wonderful ones and the difficult ones? Mm. Where is the home of your soul in the greater universal soul? Beautiful. Just so beautiful. I, you know, I, there is both a poem and a, uh, what I try to do it, express it. The very first song I released, um, this, this drone sound people will ask me about, and I spent probably a year trying to create a sound of the sound I hear in silence. Mm. And I've always called it the hum of God uh, for me, yeah. you know, what that is. And I, you know, that was the first one when you, when I was writing and with the invitation, uh, for those who don't know Mark's, his vignettes, songs often, or chapters, you know, are also giving you a, a question to walk with. And it's such a beautiful practice, not only to source it within yourself, but to share it with a friend or loved one. I, I, I think so valuable, you know, and so, and that's one of the things that one of, one of the. Uh, well, there were so many, but I love a lot of, a lot of people sometimes, even those of us in circle and I'll hear like, you know, sometimes I feel like Mark contradicts himself. And then, and it's like, part of the beauty of that is what I like to call paradoxicality. I, it could be an actual word, but paradoxical <laughs> that you, you are able to, in some very accessible ways, express this tremendous complexity of, of, of these, how these things are both true. And, and one of those is, I think it's, I can't remember which chapter it was, but the four elements of living, living uh, the individual soul of a life and the communal web of lives, the dynamic flow of the universe and the river of experience, that kinetic flash of current that connects them all. There was so much in that. I've just kind of been <laughs> meditating on that. But I, I have a more particular question, and and this is something where you're, you know, I just turned 60, and, and you're, it's, I, it's so beautiful to watch a man with tremendous heart, a tremendous compassion, but also somebody who has struggled with, and you talk about this in your books and writing, with codependency, with with being too much of a pleaser, with, with going too much of trying to... Um, help to the point of losing yourself. And so I've been on this journey of, uh, I call, often call myself the codependent poster boy, you know, I mean, uh. I, you know, so much of trying to, to please and plenty of details to that. But the bottom line is 
everyone tends to, I think we all have that on that spectrum of empathy and narcissism, you know, being too self-absorbed or being too other absorbed. And, and I love that you're such a beautiful, you're, your beautiful expression of your own journey of the challenge of how do I both be here and serve others while not denying my own truth and my own needs and my own authenticity. And, and I see so many, you know, 30 plus years as a, as a Jungian oriented psychologist, watching people struggle with this, this we're all working on this, right? I mean, it's a. Yeah, I, I yeah. also love how you say you have to fall in love with constant course correction because, you know, <laughs> it's it's this river. So I would love for you to speak into that in any way that feels. Um, yeah. Well, thank thank you. So I I think that so so let's back up for a second and then we'll get to to the 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 challenges of being who we are everywhere, but in the very nature of of life itself. Um, we have, and, and paradox, yes, paradox is any moment where more than one thing is true at the same time. And the mind, magnificent as it is, struggles when presented with that. And we go, wait a minute, isn't it A or isn't it B? And we struggle with that when we're really asked to let it all, all of it absorb in the heart and integrate, mm. to let all of it in until it releases a deeper logic of the spirit. And so one of the paradoxes in life is this journey of being who we are and being in relationship. And one of the great teachers, you know, this metaphor I'm about to use um, uh, of this are whales and dolphins. So whales and dolphins, magnificent as they are, um, they are air breathing creatures. So even though they can stay underwater for great lengths of time, they must surface or they will die. Mm -hmm. But they also can't stay on the surface because their bodies need to be immersed in the deep, baptized again and again and again, or they'll die. Well, th this is a great teacher about the paradox of solitude and relationship of individual uh, truth and experience and community. Uh, because we like dolphins and whales, the question you will, we have to surface into relationship into the world or we will die. And we have to go back into the deep, into our solitude, which is our direct connection to life, or we will die. So the question isn't, where, where are you, you know, oh, I prefer to be alone or I prefer to be, no, the question is, whatever it is, you, what is your personal rhythm? Mm. What is your personal rhythm that's healthy, that's balanced? So my question for those who are listening right now is, are you spending too much time in, in the deep or in the surface? And how, what can you do to balance? So yes, I love to live in the deep. I love to be in the mysteries. I can't live there because I, I, I'm a human being and I must breathe in the world and I must be in the world. But if all I do in the world is stay in the world, my very heart will dry up because it needs to be bathed in the deep. So, so within that, you know, the reward, and I think this is a very important thing right now in our, in our world right now, 
in the global world because of so much polarization and stridency and uh, refusing to let other views in, I think, and a, and, a, and a confusion about what's real and what's not, and, and, and the, the acceleration of, of meaningless violence, all violence is meaningless. And, and I think so, a lot of it is accentuated or deepened because so many of us have lost our direct connection to life and therefore our reverence for life. If you have a direct connection to life and reverence, you can't do harm. So as we lose that reverence and lose that direct connection, we actually strike out out of fear to even remind ourselves that we're here. Mm. So, so to go back, our direct connection to life, our presence through presence, our, our time in the deep is how we know we're here how we know the mystery, how we feel eternity in these glimpses, in these beautiful moments. But the liability of that is if I'm only left to my experience, uh, then I become hardened and stubborn and biased and prejudiced. So we need relationship. And relationship is how I access truth beyond my own through your presence. So, of course, the liability of that, now we get to codependency. The liability of that is I could have dived in the deep, gone down, I know my truth, I've worked hard to be here, and then if I come up to you and you threaten to take your love away, I'll throw it away in a second. Mm. Years, years. Yes. Yes. Oh, no, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. <laughs> Don't go anywhere. Right. You're leaving. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't mean any of it. So you know. So that's that's the codependent. So so each of these has a gift and a liability. Yes. And I think that this leads to what I I um, explore, which I think is a chapter in this book about maturing of compassion. Mm. And so you know, and this is where we're challenged. Um, you know, often in relationship, um, when we're sensitive, I will become your pain. And then if it gets too difficult, I, I bounce the other way and I go, well, wait, nobody told me it was going to be like that. So forget that. Now I put a wall up. And I think the maturing of compassion is to have porous boundaries, mm. to stay in relationship to stay open to your pain, but to not lose who I am. And, and this is the, this is the, the, how do we do that? How do we remind ourselves? You know, I have a friend who suffers from depression and anxiety. Now I have my stuff, but that's not it. I'm not depressed or anxious. I'm other things like OCD. Um, but, um, so I am committed to be on this journey with my friend. But I have to remind myself when I leave them that I am not anxious and depressed. And I have to put my face in the light and restore my direct connection to life so I can be both myself and have my heart open to others. And so, you know, this happens a lot. You know, uh, we go all the way back to the, the wonderful phenomenon of first love, you know, I mean, because this gets pronounced there so dramatically, it still happens until we individuate and find out who we are. But, you know, often 
the first person who really loves us beyond our parents, um, they have seen something in us that we have yet to awaken. And therefore we come alive in their presence and we, but now this is the codependent, uh, the initial codependency is we think, oh, they got the switch to my light. I can't let them out of my sight. It's not even about loving them. It's very yes. self-focused. It, it totally. Oh, they got the switch. I can't let them. And no, no, no. The great gift of being seen and heard and loved is that they, those who love us introduce us to our own light. And the best way we can respect and give thanks is to we keep the light on. They don't have to switch. We have to switch. So that's the first uh, rush of codependency. And sometimes it takes decades for people to realize they have to switch to their own light. Yes. So powerful. You know, it reminds me of, um, I know you were very close to Helen Luke and I work very closely with Robert Johnson and they were, they were quite uh, good friends yeah. and, and Robert was so um, important to me in so many ways. And one of the things he would say, and it, which I think is also something comes from a, a Jungian understanding is no one can hold the numinous value of your life for you. Ah, beautiful. Right. So yeah. not, not only romantically, but, but this, we also fall into this with gurus or even teachers and mentors, friends, certainly parents, kids. Um, it can happen in any relationship that that numinous quality ends up um, because yeah we're not plugging into our own numinosity our our own yeah. it reminds me when you often will mention you know buddha's last words of you know be a lantern unto yourself or bring that lamp. a good teacher is helping bring a lantern to your heart yeah. like, i'm not i'm not recalling the exact way you'd share it but it's can we find that luminosity that numinosity within our own our own experience our our own lives so we can we can help each other and then right no one can do that for us so when when we are when we are in touch through our direct connection of life which again going back to broken hallelujah is through suffering as well as joy and wonder whatever life brings us through the thorough engagement of that we inhabit that numinosity mm -hmm. And when we're in that place, however briefly, we, we shed light. And therefore, like plants, we grow to each other quite naturally, you know, right? Thomas Merton said, if we truly beheld each other, we'd fall down and, and worship each other. So, yes, this is, you know, this is the thing. And I, I feel, and you know, like, you know, that I'm a, dev a devoted lifelong teacher. And I've come to understand and accept that you can't change anyone. So what am I doing? You know? Well, I think teaching has, has I've come to be, to me, being a greenhouse, mm. providing light and warmth so that, that those within the range of our light and warmth will grow but the way that they are intended to grow, not the way we imagine or want for them or they know we can't presume to know how anyone is supposed to grow, but we can provide light and warmth for each other. 
Yes. Yes. Um, it's so beautiful. And that's one of the things I value so much uh, as a teacher that you do. And I know I've shared this with you before, because this is not the case out there so often. And I've seen people wounded by it so often. And and there's two sides to it. The first is, um, you know, your almost begin every response to questions. I don't have any answers <laughs> that, that I have. I have to be honest. I've taken that from you. I've known that in myself at some level, but especially 30 plus years as a therapist, realizing it's so humbling. You realize that, you know, again, we might be able to offer some light and some warmth. So that all of a sudden creates an opening. Like this is what I'm finding to be true. Um, and then the other piece is, that there's a way in which um, this mystery that each person has to find, uh, it's, it's, and I do think, I mean, partly with Buber and I and Thou, and, and I can't remember exact where it is in the book, but this, this sense in which I, I have it when I had it on my wall, it's a, it's a paraphrased and not the same quote, but children are not things to be molded. Oh, yes, right. to be unfolded. This that this organic nature of growth, that yeah. that really trusting people's innate wisdom, innate self direction. I'd almost like to call it solotropic. You know that the 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 it or holotropic. You know that that the movement towards wholeness is so individual and unique for each being, just like the plant metaphor, or that that for us to really. Speak spend more time in awe and wonder in the face of that than in any way trying to mold it or control it. Yeah, yeah. So the, the quote I think you're referring to is from the French uh, Rabelais, French yes. philosopher Rabelais, a child yes. is a fire to be lit, not a vase to be filled. Beautiful. Yes. I think so this opens up, you know, th there is a chapter in the book that discusses the difference between incarnation and progress. And so this is the paradigm. And like you said, you know, often, you know, sometimes folks will say, well, wait a minute, you're contradicting yourself. And, and, you know, my first, I, I think of Whitman in Song of Myself, who said, if I contradict myself, I contradict myself, I contain multitudes. Yes. And, but I think in a more practical practice way, if we feel that something f feels contradictory, my first encouragement is <clears throat> not to solve it or discard it, but to back up, mm. to back up so that more is in view and you can see how what first looks contradictory is actually in relationship. It's the, it's the shortness or the narrow focus of our view that makes us think something is contradictory. So we need to back up to see how it goes together. You know, I, I told a story in one of my circles and I had a wonderful person in the group, but she was very puzzled. And then we were discussing the story. And then she said, you know, I have problems with that story. And, <laughs> and, and I said, uh, well, I invite you rather than to see how the story fits or doesn't fit into your worldview, that you back up and open your worldview to incorporate the story and be in conversation with what, with that, which is new to you. It's beautiful. 
Beautiful. Yeah. I, the, the, the other, one of the burning embers for me from this book too, is, um, the hawk and the horse, (laughs) right? I mean, that, that the, uh, the ability to sure get that 20,000 foot view, which is so critical to get. In fact, instead of, I hear, you know, we hear so often today that, you know, higher self or the spiritual bypassing, which is such a danger, but I like to think of it as the vast self or the vast, vaster view. And yet no matter how, and by the way, driving over here as the storm was, was coming, which is, which is calmed. I saw this, it was, it was a, either a hawk or an eagle was flying above the thermals. And I, I think it is an eagle because eagles tend to fly over the storm oh. um, and buffalo run into the storm. But the idea is that you really said, no matter how much of our hawk perspective we might have, we must come back to earth and plod as that horse that we might get that direction, might get that clarity. And, may, and I know you're talking about something a little different of standing back to see the larger possible whole within the contradictions and so that i guess i this idea of how we move perspective in and out depending on when we're feeling well our our, our, you know our really we are always relating you know there there are no how to's and 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 i know that and there's always a practice of just as the dolphin and we have to navigate between surface and deep we also have to navigate between uh revelation and step-by-step living and so what i use that metaphor of the hawk and the horse is that we are and being a human being we live right at the juncture of that because the being is infinite is spirit and the human is very finite and embodied and limited at any point any age from birth to death and so you know the spirit in us sees instantly and completely so, you know, the hawk says, hey, let's go over there. And it sees, you know, some spot a mile away on the other side of a river. <laughs> and and the horse says, wait a minute. I got to I gotta go through this gully and there's a broken fence and there's barbed wire. And how am I going to get across that? Wait up. And so we have this. And but the other thing is that while the whole, the human in us is always and often we fault ourselves or are critic self-critical because we think we're not measuring up because we can't keep up with the hawk of our spirit. Um, uh, the spirit can't go anywhere without the horse either. Mm. And so part of our being who we are as a human being is to say to our spirit, thanks for the view. Slow down. Yes. You're not going anywhere without me. And they are tethered together. This is another way that we have to, we, we need the vision from our spirit. And then we need a step at a time to embody it, to embody it and live it out. And that's, that's the amazing practice. Yeah, I love it reminds me of that story um, you also tell and I can't remember it was the white explorer in Africa, I believe and and the, it was Oh, yes, Andre so, Gide. Yeah. Right. So and, Andre Gide, who was a wonderful playwright and uh, for, he won the Nobel Prize uh, in his life as French and he went to Africa. He so wanted to experience Africa directly and he got there and he 
hired native guides and in a, and he tells this story in his writing in his journals he and he says you know i was so like let's go I, you know first eager let's go they spend the night and then they get up and they're getting and they and nobody's moving the guys aren't going anywhere and he's frustrated he says hey come on you know i'm paying you let's go and they just look at him and say we're waiting for our souls to catch up to us mm. we cannot guide you until they do Oh, I, I love that story so much. And it is that, especially in our very manic driven world, I, that to me, even when people would come to see me as, as uh, a, a therapist, it was often the one chance in the week for their soul to catch up with them, you know, and the original meaning of psychotherapy was it, it is the it, it care of the soul. You yeah, know, if it's done correctly, I mean, which is what what you do as well in our, in our circles, and and I love I, this was like I think one of the first things, one of the very first circles I was in, and you said, you know, this is very similar to our Neolithic, maybe even Paleolithic ancestors <laughs> coming coming into a cave and just you know around the fire and just kind of looking at each other, say, so, so what's what is this and what's going on and what's working for you and you know so and and I really. I mean, it speaks so deeply to me because I always tell people, you know, don't, uh, we are still so primitive. Don't let all the technology fool you at all. I mean, we're really probably not that much more, especially at these deep, com complex areas. Um, I've just finished this amazing book, The Dawn of Everything, towards a new history of humanity. And they're doing an extraordinary job of piecing together the newest anthropological research, particularly in North America, about how these native traditions had three main freedoms they valued. The freedom to say no, the freedom to travel, and the freedom to change. And, you know, when you think about, I mean, that's almost like we don't have those freedoms or how many people on the planet don't have those freedoms today. Mm -hmm. Um, but I feel like when we sit in circle, and and I do, I I value that so deeply that here you 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 are able you do this so clearly for the intrinsic value to your own soul. It's so clear to me that this is it, this is such part of your soul work, not just your writing, but even in, in even in this book, it's the first time I've heard that when you're talking about some of your friends and one teaches Tai Chi and you know, one does this, but I, I hold circles about living authentically. And you didn't talk about being an author. You talked about that. I hold circle. And it was just so touching to me, um, you know, how meaningful that work is for you. Well, thank you. Well, I think this goes back to, you know, touch back into the incarnation and progress because, yeah, you know, we tend to think as the modern, in the modern world, which is so self-centered that, you know, that history from Paleolithic times to the present is an ascension up a mountain. And of course, we're at the top because this is as far as history has gone. And all the traditions and all the sages, whoever you think they are, confirm that, no, it's all horizontal. We're all the same six inches from heaven in the gutter. Mm. We just have more tools right now, yes. our yes. different tools. And, yes. and this is what I mean about, you know, progress Progress is the outward and noble effort and concern to leave the world a little better than we found it. You know, we didn't have running water. Now we have running water, you know, I mean, and and so but but incarnation is that every person who ever lived 
this isn't about progress it's about embodied living every person who has ever lived or will live faces the same magnificent this goes back to broken hallelujah journey and how are you going to do it yes no two people this is what jung talked when i think what he meant by archetype these passages that everyone who ever lived must go through but no two people do it the same way so there's no manual but we can compare notes and we can support each other and we can learn from each other and i use an, a, a story uh, as an example of this uh, just to get clearer um, so imagine an indigenous tribe that is migrating because where they have been living for generations is no longer viable and they they for several months they are nomadic but they finally settle they discover a plateau at the foot of these mountains from which the vastness is just breathtaking and they decide this is where we want our children to wake up every day. And so they settle there. And so for the next decade or two, that the, those adults of that tribe, the elders, and, and they cleared the, the trees on that plateau so that when their children wake up, they see. So that's progress. Those children didn't have to clear those trees. But no one can open your eyes and see for you. Yes. That's incarnation. Yes. And so no one, everyone must go through the journey of opening their eyes and seeing. Everyone must go through the journey of open. And, and if you open your eyes and don't see, what's the point? Yes. So everyone has to go through the journey of opening your heart and mm -hmm. loving. And if you don't love once your heart is open, what's, what's the point? So what I learned from that and being in, in being with that distinction is that I think we're called the best ethic of progress is to do for others. But the best ethic of incarnation is to see for ourselves. Mm. So when I'm at my best, which I can't be all the time, I'm doing for others, but seeing for myself. And this gets back to breaking the codependence. Yes. I can do for you, but I need to maintain seeing for myself. Otherwise, I will become an extension of your suffering and not a resource for your suffering. Yes, yes. so so critical that difference, and and, and beautiful expression. And you know, I've thought about this often that in many ways, you know, um, you know about my vision quest thirty years ago. When when you talk about your cancer journey, it was this for lack of a better word, and, and it, it's a source point of like a soul initiation, you know, this deep, profound, and even all, you know, bringing all these other things open. And I find, you know, this idea of opening our eyes, opening the heart, you know, there's a native saying that don't trust anyone until their heart's been broken, because yeah. that's the origin of compassion. Um, and also that, that there is something, you know, more like, one of the teachers I worked with, you know, where some of the initiatory processes, uh, you know, somebody might die and, and, and one person said, well, you know, how do you, how do you make sense that, you know, you have initiatory processes where death could occur? And he said, we believe there's something worse than physical death. And that is a unopened heart and an uninitiated soul. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, we kind of are living in a culture where that, that it's interesting because I do think trauma 
can be and often is if consciousness is brought to it. And there is a loving presence that's there to, to, to help open that can be soul initiatory or meaning that the eyes, particularly the eyes of the heart are open. Yeah. And so I just, I, I really, what you're saying touches me deeply and, and that's to grow a self. The inconvenient truth is require suffering. And, and that's, I think something that was really lost on, on our, our culture in many ways. Well, um, we don't have to look for suffering. We, no. just, we just have to not avoid it when it shows up. That's and, it. You know, one of the, from my journey, from my cancer journey and just my own, my own history of suffering, I've been open and I don't think I would have seen this metaphor without it. And that's the metaphor of, and, and you'll love this. I know I probably shared it with you at some point in one of our circles, but uh, of the original handmade flutes. Mm. Because not, you know, because those were carved out of mammoth bone. And, um, and that's a per, I, I would have loved to have interviewed the first prehistoric person who carved the first flute like life was so difficult you know and, and there's just that that effort happened is evidence that the inner life is as necessary as the outer life amen why would you so but but the thing about that is that no two of those originally hand carved flutes are the same and therefore they each uh each will reveal a different song every soul on earth is such a hand carved flute mm. and experience like it or not carves holes in us I, i'm talking like i'm talking about gravity i'm not advocating suffering i'm reporting on spiritual physics mm. that seems to be the way it works and so we don't have to look for them but we need not to re when when we are being carved open we have to let it open all the way through yes so that the breath of spirit can play its song through us the worst position of all is to be touched by suffering but not opened by suffering yes. and therefore you're like a flute where the hole is carved but not all the way through mm -hmm. all you get's the carving but you never get the song yes yes oh, that's, a song that's so beautiful and it it seems like such i know we could go on and on but i just want to read it, it brings us full circle because this quote we must learn the basic chords under everything this is the call of every life awakened between its pain and its song i mean that's so what a beautiful place to to kind of begin to land um mark i i i I don't have words for oh, um, the, the, the gifts that you have uh, for the, the light and warmth and water that I've experienced from our friendship and, and your work. And I, I'm just in, in deep gratitude for that. Oh, thank you. Um, thank you. If there's any last words and if not, if something, how people can learn more about your work and where to find you. Oh, well, thank, thank you. So I think, I mean, the biggest thing I want to leave which, with, with anyone who's listening is that um, if we, everybody has a gift, if we can discover it and let it be our teacher, mm. it will not, it won't, won't just bring us, you know, this is where the West, you know, we say, oh, well, good. If I have a gift, that means I'll do something great. No, the reward of the gift being our teacher is it will help us live life to the fullest 
to the fullest we can live and that's why we're here so i offer i hope i hope i offer that and and yeah so i'm you know i am uh doing several things as you as you know people can find me where i'm teaching i will be uh teaching two special things on the road and one as you know as like you're you're in these groups but i have one uh new group year-long group in kalamazoo that and and for folks who don't know i i lead two a year that meet four times a year a group small group of people 16 to 18 souls and we travel four weekends together we go through a year of our life together and um and so the one that's on my website now, marknepo.com, which is called As Far As The Heart Can See, has, um, I think, four, four spots or six spots left. So if anyone is, if that moves anyone. And the other on the road things, I'll be home now till February when I'm going to teach at the Modern Elder Academy in Mexico. And that will be a week, the last week of February. You can go to the Modern Elder Academy website and find out about it. Um, that also will be a small group, probably 20 to 24 at most. And we will spend a week exploring drinking from the river of light and how that affects our the call of our soul and the deeper expressive journey. Um, and then the other one other thing I'll share is that next May, I'll be doing a totally different journey around drinking from the river of light but in italy outside of florence and uh globaljourneys.com uh, is sponsoring that so either through my website or theirs you can find out more about that wonderful mark thank you again for being here and if you don't know Mark's work, and very few people that I know don't, um, but please reach out. And I in particular want to recommend Surviving Storms. It personally has been really helpful for me rereading it, you know, a few oh. times, Mark. So thank you. Thank you for being here. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And I look forward to seeing you next time on Musitations. You've been listening to Musitations sound healing and sound wisdom for a world in need where we explore all things musical meditative and creative for healing transformation and awakening the soul i've been your guide and host michael brant de maria feel free to check out my music on pandora amazon music spotify xm cirrus radio or soundscapes cable you can also check out my website at michaeldemaria.com or online programs at alldaypeace.com, alldaypeace.com. Listen to your heart, follow your soul, and we'll see you on the next episode of Musitations. <laughs>